Hello and welcome to the podcast for the October 2008 issue of The Lancet Neurology. Richard Lane here with TLN editor Helen Frankish. Helen, welcome. And we've got three items to discuss this month. Let's start actually with two articles you've got on the same topic. We've got EVA, EVA 3, and we've got the space study. And this is looking at something that we've published before in the Lancet journals, carotid stenting versus endarterectomy. Can you just explain what these procedures are and what, what, what we're looking at here? Patients who have stenosis or narrowing of the carotid artery are at risk of having a stroke. And to restore the blood flow, two main treatments are available, as you said, carotid endarterectomy and carotid angioplasty with stenting. And with endarterectomy, the plaque is removed surgically, usually under general anaesthetic, whereas carotid stenting is a less invasive procedure, usually done under local anaesthetic, in which a rigid mesh tube is placed inside the narrowed artery to widen and reinforce it. But the effectiveness of these two techniques in terms of preventing stroke in the long term isn't known. We've had preliminary studies, haven't we, before? Both of these studies are actually follow-up studies. Can you just tell us what we knew from, from the preliminary findings earlier? Well, both groups had previously reported the safety data at 30 days, which showed that particularly in EVA3S, the rate of stroke and death was significantly greater in patients who had undergone stenting rather than endarterectomy. And the long-term results that we report in TLN are essentially showing that excluding those events related to the safety of the procedure, over the next two to four years, the chance of having a stroke on the same side as the affected carotid artery is very low at about 1-2% to and is similar in both treatments. Groups. Can you just give us a few numbers, uh, Helen, here? So the results of SPACE showed that from day 30 to two years, there were only 10 ipsilateral strokes, that's strokes on the same side as the affected artery, in the endarterectomy group, and 12 in the stenting group. And in EVA3S, there were just four in each group after the periprocedural phase. So what conclusions can we now draw that we've got this long uh, uh, follow-up data? And you have got a comment, haven't you, alongside these papers? The authors of EVA3S conclude that... The the safety of carotid stenting needs to be improved before it can become a widespread alternative to carotid endarterectomy in patients with symptomatic carotid stenosis. And we have a linked comment from Ross Naylor, which ends with a call for greater collaboration between trialists. And he suggests that researchers need to collaborate and pool their data in an individual patient meta-analysis so that we can determine which subgroups of patients have the lowest and highest procedural risks of stenting because the magnitude of any long-term benefit after endarterectomy or stenting will probably be determined within the first 30 days of the procedure. Let's also mention briefly the PROFESS study and this is looking specifically, isn't it, at neuroprotection for ischemic stroke. Can you just outline this study and and another similar paper that we're not publishing? So the PROFESS study is a study of two different antiplatelet regimens, that's aspirin plus uh, dipyridamol versus clopidogrel, and also a blood pressure-lowering treatment, telmisartan, in the prevention of recurrent ischemic stroke. So over 20,000 patients from 35 countries who had an ischemic stroke were randomised in a factorial design to the two different 
antiplatelet treatments. They were then randomised again to the blood pressure lowering drug or placebo and the two primary analyses were reported in the New England Journal a couple of weeks ago and they showed firstly that the rates of recurrent stroke were similar between the groups that received the combination of aspirin plus dipyridamole versus clopidogrel and secondly that blood pressure lowering with telmisartan compared with placebo had no effect on the rate of recurrent stroke. That was if you like the primary analysis so this paper in the Lancet Neurology, what what are the main conclusions that we can draw from our paper? Well, the aim of the analysis that we report in this issue was to determine whether any of the treatments were neuroprotective. So did they reduce the severity of recurrent stroke or did they have any effect on patients' cognition? And previous studies with neuroprotective drugs were negative, but this might have been because the patients weren't given the drugs until after they'd had their stroke. So the new thing about this study is that the patients were actually taking the drug when they had their stroke. And about 9% of patients in each group had a stroke, but unfortunately the results showed that there were no significant differences between stroke severity in patients randomised to either of the antiplatelet regimens. And also there were no differences in stroke severity between telmisartan and placebo. So although this is a negative outcome, it is worth noting that there is a cognitive substudy that used more sophisticated neuropsychological assessments that should help shed further light on this issue. And finally, Helen, another acronym, REGARD, another research article, and this is looking at treatment options for relapsing, remitting multiple sclerosis. Can you just explain what this study is about? Well, interferon beta and glutarium acetate are two first-line treatments for multiple sclerosis, but no published studies have directly compared the efficacy of these two drugs head-to-head. So in this study, almost 800 patients were randomised to receive either interferon beta-1A or glutarium acetate for 96 weeks, and the primary outcome of the study was the time to first relapse. And the results showed that there was no significant difference between the groups after 96 weeks in time to first relapse. And also there was no difference between the groups in other measures such as the proportion of patients that were free from relapse relapse rate and disability progression. But it is worth noting that relapse rates in the group as a whole were lower than would have been expected from previous experience with only about half the number of relapses than were expected, which means that the study might have been underpowered to show any effect. Great. Many thanks, Helen. Some great detail there in the articles you've got in the October issue of The Lancet Neurology. Helen, thanks for joining me. Thank you all for listening. See you next month.